Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Things First. Jenna Wolf, Nick Wright, Kevin Wads. We got Chris Broussard with us. We'll let you know why in just a second. Coming up here on a Monday morning, the draft is over, but the commiseration may have just begun for Aaron Rodgers and maybe even for Carson Wentz. We'll discuss that. Also, what does the draft now mean for Cam Newton? But Chris Broussard is here, so our first story is the last dance. Here we go. Episodes three and four of the Chicago Bulls. Much hyped documentary aired last night and did not disappoint. One of the areas of focus was the very flamboyant, often misunderstood, but integral part of the Bulls dynasty, and that's Dennis Rodman. We also saw Phil Jackson's impact on the team and the Chicago Bulls' eventual overtaking of the Pistons as the best team in the East. Nick, we got a lot to unpack on this one. I'll start with you. What was your biggest takeaway from what you saw last night? My biggest takeaway last night was another reminder at how criminally underrated Isaiah Thomas has become by the younger generation and by the analytics generation. Isaiah's raw numbers, counting numbers, or even advanced stats will never do him full justice. He was on a team with zero other elite offensive players, and he had them potentially one sprained ankle or two Kareem Abdul-Jabbar free throws away in 1988 from a three-peat. He was up against super team after super team, the, the the Lakers with Magic, Kareem, and Worthy. The Celtics with a with four Hall of Famers. Five, if you want to throw in Walton. Jordan's Bulls. And he had them going toe-to-toe year after year with those guys, including a period of time where they were the best team in the league. And it all centered around him. We focus on the defense and the toughness. But none of it plays without Isaiah. And... You could see it a little bit in the dock. I saw it a little bit firsthand when uh, about a year ago, I had said on the show that Steph Curry now was the second greatest point guard ever behind Magic. And Isaiah came on the show, and I think it was off the air. He's like, so Steph's better than me? How's Steph better than me? Because he understood what I think a lot of people don't, which is you can't just look at the numbers. And Isaiah's contribution to winning and putting a roadblock up, ending the Celtics and pre-Jordan is very, very important. And my other takeaway, Broussard, was this. I, I remember watching you on television. I don't remember exactly what the, why this came up, but it was a couple months ago. And you said something along the lines of, nobody got championships on Jordan's watch. And I just remember, I was watching this and I'm like, well, it seems like a lot of people did, though. Like, you know, all the... Magic, Kareem, and Worthy, they all got titles. Obviously, Bird and McHale and Parrish and Walton, they got titles. Isaiah and those guys got titles. Akeem and Clyde got a title. I know we're not allowed to count the <laughs> Wizards years, but then you have Duncan and Robinson and Shaq and Kobe. So, they, no, it didn't happen. Of course, it didn't happen. So it's, it's really just Barkley and Malone and Ewing didn't get titles. But it was just a reminder. There were championships won from 85 to 98 that weren't those six Bulls titles. But my bigger takeaway, Roussard, was the greatness of Isaiah Thomas. Okay, I, I must respond to this. First of all, Jor- the Jordan watch officially <laughs> began in 1991. So that pre-91 oh. was not the Jordan watch. But that was a very astute oh. point you made, Nick, about Isaiah. I'm glad you made it. Most millennials are lost 
when it comes, and most analytic guys are lost when it comes to Isaiah Thomas. And you mentioned the numbers. His numbers now, analytically, they may not be great, but Isaiah Thomas joins Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson as the only players ever to retire having averaged 19 points and nine assists a game for their careers. Isaiah also is the only superstar who can say he beat Bird, Magic, and Jordan in their prime. And to your point, Nick, he did it without another top 50 teammate, and Bird obviously had plenty of them. Mike or or Magic had plenty of them, and Jordan had Scottie Pippen. So I'm glad you brought that up about Isaiah Thomas. But my biggest takeaway was what made Phil Jackson great. And we saw that. And Phil Jackson has got to be considered the GOAT, I would think, among NBA coaches of all time. But you saw that Phil Jackson understood you coach different players different ways. He understood Dennis Rodman was a different type of guy. So he gave him leeway. There are a lot of NBA coaches, and it's hard to blame them, who would have been like, what? You got to go to Las Vegas in the middle of the season? Are you crazy? And they would have let their ego get in the way and not let him go. And maybe that could have ambushed the team. But he let him go, understood he was different, and then didn't even let his ego get in the way when Rodman didn't come back in the 48 hours that had been allotted. And obviously everything was fine by the way Phil handled that. But yet he had his non-negotiables where he was stern on them and would not budge One being respect. He first meets Dennis Rodman at Jerry Krause's house and says, stand up and take off your hat so we can shake hands. So he he wanted Rodman to give him the respect if he was going to be able to coach him. And then with Jordan, Jordan didn't want to play the triangle. Jordan didn't want the ball moving all over the place. He wanted it in his hands, but Phil was non-negotiable on that. And it obviously helps them end up winning the six championships. So I thought you got a good glimpse into what made Phil Jackson such a great coach. I I think it was also super interesting, Chris. Donovan Mitchell pointed out that Phil Jackson was the first one to institute load management. So I thought that was fascinating. Jenna, I wonder if this happened now, if a player had to go to Las Vegas, how it would be taken by the media at large? If a player had to go to Las Vegas. I have to. I have no other choice but to go. Hey, Nick, Nick had to. Nick, I want to I get your take on what Broussard had to say, because there was this dichotomy between the intense Michael Jordan and the seemingly laid-back Phil Jackson, just in his approach, at least, that sort of zen-like. You saw that scene where they took their shoes off, they were practicing some sort of breathing technique on the floor. You know, one guy was so intense and one guy had different approach, and even in the beginning, they didn't gel, right? Michael wanted the ball, Phil wanted everyone to have the ball, what, what do you think about what you learned from Phil Jackson and how these two really found a way to make it work and be successful? Well, I think it is a vivid and important reminder that an enormous part of the Michael Jordan story is him linking up with the most successful, arguably, professional coach in any sport ever. Like, there, it is so hard to win championships in pro sports. It is incredibly difficult to win multiple championships. And now if we're talking about the the handful of guys that have a handful of rings, you're talking about guys with four, five, six rings, what do they all have in common? 
the great player is married up for either a part of or the entirety of their championship window, an all-time great coach. Bradshaw had Noel. Montana, for multiple of his championships, had Walsh. Kobe, obviously, had Phil for all five titles. Shaq had Phil for three of his titles. Pat Riley for the other one. Michael had Phil for all six. Duncan had Popovich for all five. You, uh, Magic had Pat Riley for four of his five. It is so. It is basically impossible, if not unprecedented, in sports history to become. It, Jeter had Joe Torre to become a guy that has more than two or three rings, unless you are married to a coach who is going to help guide you along the way. Because I think Wilds, I get your takeaway on this. I thought it was very instructive when Doug Collins went over the list of Michael Jordan accomplishments in his three years with him. He's like, well, he won a league MVP, won an all-star MVP, won scoring titles, he won defensive player of the year. And then Phil Jackson walks in and is like, Michael, you're going to have to change. I think the vast majority of coaches in NBA history would not have been able to do that. But, Kevin, that obviously was exactly what Michael and the Bulls needed. So I just think it's an incredibly important part of the story. So I don't know if you're setting me up here, but I'm going to toss the ball back to you, Nick. Michael had Dean Smith and Roy Williams, and then he had Bobby Knight uh, in the Olympics. Then he moves on. He eventually has Doug Collins and Phil Jackson. It seems like, and this is why I thought this was a wrestling move setup that you're setting me up for to drop an elbow on me, that the only great, great player who didn't have a great, great coach was LeBron James. Is this all, that, was that whole take a setup for me to toss it back to you? <laughs> Listen, I didn't. Of course. I hadn't even thought of LeBron. I mean, I this. fell into that. I, you know, why? The, I, I wouldn't try. Listen, this is a celebration of Michael Jordan. So I wouldn't want to bring up the only athlete in American history that trumps him. So I think it's unfair. But you do, Wilds. I hadn't thought of it, but, but Broussardi brings up a good point. I mean, I, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, all the guys, I mean, even back to Russell uh, with our back, like all the all-time greats, they did have that one iconic coach along with them for either all or most of the way. It's a good point, Wilds. I hadn't thought about Broussard. I don't know your takeaway on it. But is that I guess true? Yeah, you hadn't thought of it? No, it hadn't occurred to me, Broussard. Nick, Nick has made some unusually astute points today, so uh, I'll give him credit for that. But um, look, I, I agree with Nick. I've long said that had LeBron been linked up with the Phil, one of the all-time greats, a Phil Jackson, a Greg Popovich, or a Pat Riley, maybe even, maybe, a Larry Brown, he would have more championships. And then I think if he has more championships, he's probably widely recognized as the GOAT. But Phil Jackson understood this, that no matter how great your one player is, if your team focuses too much around that one player and he does everything essentially, you're going to have trouble winning at the highest level. Michael Jordan, Nick mentioned the accolades he got under Doug Collins. How about his numbers? One year he averaged 37 point on, points on 48% shooting for, for a Doug Collins. The next year, 35.6 assists on 54% shooting. The next year, 32, 8, and 8 on 54% shooting. His numbers were astronomical and efficient under Doug Collins, but everything Mike was doing at all, and they didn't win big. Wilt Chamberlain, when he won his two championships, he averaged 24 and 14 points a game. 
When he averaged 50 and 44 and 37, they weren't winning. St. Michael Jordan's numbers came down for him to win. And I've said this about LeBron. Obviously, LeBron's an unselfish player. But everywhere he's been, the offense, everything is focused around LeBron. It's, I say it's a LeBron system. And he either makes the hockey assist, the assist, or the basket. And he, it's a tribute to his individual greatness, but it's difficult, no matter how great you are, to win championships consistently when everything revolves around one player. Phil Jackson taught that to LeBron, to Kobe, to Shaq, all these guys. LeBron hasn't had that coach that's been able to force that on him and just make him be part of the system rather than the entire system. All right, Broussard, so much, so fascinating. And this is only four episodes of 10 of basically one season. You can imagine the whole scope of it. Back here with Brian Westbrook. Brian, let's play a little drawing a blank, and we'll start with your former team, the Eagles, who made one of the biggest head-scratching moves of the draft this weekend, taking Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts in the second round. Quarterback, you say, but what about their already highly paid quarterback, Carson Wentz? Head coach Doug Peterson said they will explore using Hurts alongside Wentz the way the Saints do with Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. Nick, start with you. The Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts was blank. I think it was perfect. I love this for a handful of reasons. One, I don't think Jalen's at all close to ready to be an everyday starting NFL quarterback. So he goes to a team where he's not going to be asked to be an everyday starting NFL quarterback. So I think that is a huge plus. Second of all, the way Doug Peterson embraces analytics, two-point conversions, fourth, fourth and short attempts, you would like a mobile dual-threat quarterback. And third of all, Carson Wentz's biggest concern is his health, obviously. And now you've got a guy who you feel like eventually could be a more than qualified backup quarterback. So for my money, Brian, I think this is perfect for a handful of reasons. I love it for Philly. Well, you know, I like your points, but I think uh, I think this complicated for a handful of reasons. Your first reason is that you know, the quarterback that you gave $107 million guaranteed, Carson Wentz, is also admitting that he has some injury concerns. 2016, he plays all 16 games. The team wasn't very good. They ended up 7-9. 2017, uh, they end, the Eagles end up going to the Super Bowl winning, but Nick Foles is a quarterback. 2018, Carson Wentz only plays 11 games. And then 2019, Carson Wentz plays all 16 regular season games, but only throws four passes in the playoffs. So you're acknowledging there's some injury concerns, so it's okay to get yourself a backup quarterback. And it's important to have a quality backup quarterback. The other thing that you're also, uh, you know, that makes it a little bit more complicated is that when you talk about a Taysom Hill type of player, we're also talking about an offense that in in, uh, in New Orleans has a 41-year-old quarterback. Carson Wentz is 27 years old. You have to find yourself a way to get more weapons. So that's why it's complicated because going into the draft, you're saying you have to find a way to get more weapons. That means receivers, not additional quarterbacks that are going to give you gadget type of plays. That's why it's complicated. I, complicated. I understand it in some ways. Then there are other ways. I'm just scratching my head just a bit. Jenna, I love a good gadget play. Jalen Hurts ran the Philly special against Oklahoma State last year, scored. I loved it. And I know that Philly fans think they may have overdrafted here with Jalen Hurts, but 
Don't look at it as a Philly fan. Look at it as a defensive coordinator trying to plan for your team. I couldn't imagine being like having the whole game plan and then having your assistant pop up and be like, yeah, what about when Carson and Jalen Hurts are on the field at the same time? I think it's just a disaster for defensive coordinators. I think it's to be confusing, and I love the move for the Eagles. I also can't imagine that Jalen Hurts himself wants to be a gadget guy in the NFL. He finally gets his break, and he, he's a la Taysom Hill. So we'll see what happens there. Let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys now. When Jerry Jones was asked about Dak Prescott's contract, Jerry said, quote, when we're ready to play, he'll be there. Honestly, guys, if Dak got paid based on the praise that he's getting from the Cowboys, he'd already have the contract that he's looking for. Nick, Dak's 2020 season with the Cowboys will be blank. Explosive. And I mean that potentially literally and figuratively. I guess not literally. That's not quite, that's not exactly right. I mean it on the field and off the field. Oh, you pulled a Jenna, Nick. On the field. You pulled a Jenna. On the field. Oh, I, I, I pulled it back. On the field explosive, because how could you ask for better weapons? You have a $100 million uh, receiver in Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, who broke out last year, and CeeDee Lamb, who a lot of people thought was the number one receiver in this draft class, plus Zeke. Explosive off the field, because he still doesn't have a contract, and he's either going to get paid like the best quarterback in the league or close to it, or he's going to be playing on a franchise tag. Either way, that's a potentially explosive situation. So for all those reasons, I say explosive, Brian Westbrook. When I say it's going to be confirmation, and it's going to be confirming one or two of two things, confirming that a guy that's coming off a career season in passing yards, touchdowns, completions uh, of up 20 yards or more, and you add yourself a quarterback whisperer in Mike McCarthy, you add another weapon to that offense, all the weapons that you listed in C.D. Lamb, you add another weapon, so you're giving him an opportunity to be successful. That means his offense goes out and wins right away. That's confirmation that now you have to pay the guy. Or you can be confirming that even with more weapons, even with more talent around him, that Dak Prescott cannot get it done. So either way, you're confirming something. It's either going to be good or bad for this offense. The question is going to be upon Dak Prescott of how good can he be even with more weapons like you got in C.D. Lamb uh, during the first round of the draft. Uh, so I woke up this morning and I saw Aaron Gordon trending. And usually it's like last dance players trending. It's like Ron Harper was trending or Craig Elo was trending. I'm like, Aaron Gordon? Why is Aaron Gordon trending? So I clicked on it and Aaron Gordon released a diss track for Dwayne Wade from the dunk contest. And I'm like, oh, geez, now I guess it's my professional responsibility to listen to this. So I listened to it and here's my review. Slightly better than I expected. And that's how I think Dak's season will be. I think it's going to be great, but it like slightly better than I expected. Okay. I gotta listen to a oh, diss track today. He's drinking his wine. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to Cam on. Newton. I like it, Wilds. With the uh, NFL draft over, the free agent should be joining. Cam Newton should be joining a team right about not yet. A recent report says Cam is unlikely to be signed until another starting quarterback sustains an injury. Nick, Cam's 2020 season will be blank. All right, this really stresses me out here, oh boy. and I I don't want to give this answer, but Wilds, as you guys, Wilds, Westbrook, and as you all know, I have a commitment to take integrity that demands I give the oh, honest no. answer. Take integrity again. And the honest answer is patriotic. 
Because I think this ends with him <laughs> and the Patriots <laughs> almost no money. Wow. I wow. look around the league, and I'm like, the Titans should have signed wow. him. Instead, they gave Tannehill $100 million bucks. The Colts should have signed him. Instead, they give what's left of Phillip Rivers $25 million bucks. The Bears should have signed him. Instead, they're like, hey, Nick Foles, come on down. The Jags should have signed him. But they're like, you know what? The Gardner Minshew experience is something we want to go with. So I look around and I say, this is how this is going to end. With Bill Belichick getting Cam Newton for four million bucks and unlimited legal seafood. And I I just can't believe it. So my answer, Brian, is patriotic. And I'm already irritated, not only because the Patriots will be good, but because I will find myself rooting for them, which will make me feel repulsive. I mean, this is great. My answer is patriotic. This is great. (laughs) Uh, what a day. The Patriots what a continue day, to find folks. a way to get better. If they can find a way to get Cam with a rock, they're a much better team. But I, I, I kind of associate this with going out to dinner without a reservation. So you're going to your favorite restaurant. My wife finally picked the restaurant. We're going there. <laughs> we do not have a reservation. And we get there and they're saying, okay, Mr. Westbrook, just wait here and we'll wait for a table to open up for you. This is just like Cam waiting for a quarterback to get injured or not play very well. And now you're sitting there watching that quarterback and his family eat steak and lobster and appetizer and dessert. <laughs> and God forbid they want to have the after dinner drink. And so we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for this table to get up. And eventually we say, you know what, screw it. We're just going to leave. And so I think for Cam, you're going to be waiting for a long time, trying to figure out where he's going to fit in at and where he's going to get an opportunity. And here's the other part. We don't know what's going to happen with some of the OTAs. We're not going to know what's going to happen with some of the training camp. And that's normally the proving ground for quarterbacks. And that can prove whether you're going to play or you're not going to play. And now if we miss some of those things, those we may also miss some opportunities for coaches to see that they need a guy like Cam in the organization because their starter is not a guy. So that may delay the process as well for Cam. It's kind of like being delayed when you go out for dinner and don't have a reservation. Okay, Jenna, I've got three answers because there was two just fascinating things that were just said. Uh, answer number one, shame on any Philly restaurateurs making Brian Westbrook wait for a table. <laughs> it, it should be, you should get Agreed. the uh, Goodfellas treatment, the Brian. Same right thing. in, here's a table right yes. down for you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> answer number two, I had a thing about uh, Post Malone's Nirvana concert about Cam because Cam will wind up with a team and it might sound weird for about one second and then you'll look up and be like, wow, this is awesome. And that's what Post Malone did. But now my third answer, I changed it because of what Nick said about the Patriots. Here's the quote from the director of the Patriots uh, player personnel. We're going to have to get a third quarterback paired up with Jarrett and Brian. Where he comes from and how he gets here is yet to be determined. So, Nick, Patriotic is a wonderful answer. We welcome you with open arms to uh, Patriot Nation. Happy to have you on board, buddy. So, basically, Nick, it's going to be the law firm of Newton, Stidham, and Hoyer. Get used to it. Wrap your head around it. Let's put it out there into the ether. It's going to happen. It's going to drive you crazy. On to the Kansas City Chiefs to bring you back, Nick. Here we go. They drafted LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire with the 32nd overall pick. He has such a fancy name. I want to say it again, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Before the draft, KCGM Brett Veach compared Clyde to the one and only Brian Westbrook. But then our guy Andy Reid disagreed, saying he's better than Brian. Shots fired, B-Dub. 
Brian, start with you. Andy Reid saying Clyde Edwards Elaire is better than you are. As preposterous as we know that is, is blank, my friend. This is baffling. And I, I brought this trophy here for a reason. This is my 2007 uh, most valuable offensive player for the Philadelphia Eagles organization trophy. They gave me this in 2007. I had a record-breaking year. And now, I, you know, I get this uh, message on Friday morning that Andy Reid said that and that this kid that hasn't played a down in the NFL is better than me already. <laughs> it took me years to perfect my game. It took me years to get better at my craft. And this young kid that hasn't played a down in we the NFL it. is is better than me already. It's baffling. Uh, I also will say this. I got a call Friday morning. I'm on the farm. You know, we're, we're seeding the grass, taking the horses out from Brett Veach, the GM of Kansas City, and from Andy Reid, both apologizing, obviously giving some respect to myself by giving me a call and saying that, you know, what was put out there wasn't exactly what they said. So I appreciate that. Awesome. I still have a lot of love for Andy Reid as well as, as, well as uh, Brett Veach there out in Kansas City. Brian, I didn't think there was any apology necessary. I thought it was a Jordan-esque compliment. Nick, I thought it was the ultimate compliment for your running back to be compared to the great Brian Westbrook, who should never have to wait for a restaurant. <laughs> I, I agree with you on the compliment. I agree with you on Brian Westbrook just totally lying that he's waited to have a table at a restaurant any time in the last 20 years. <laughs> but my answer is biased, and here's why. It, this is, remember when Keith Van Horn came out of school People are like, oh, I, a little Larry Bird-esque. Or when Jan Vaselli came, was coming into the draft, they're like, reminds me of Dirk. Or every black quarterback forever being compared to Mike Vick or Randall Cunningham. And it's just, no, you're just comparing white players to white players. This is comparing short guys to short guys, and I won't stand for it. As it listen, I'm not a short guy myself. However, the audience thinks I am. So I have felt some of this bias directed towards me because everyone thinks I'm a short guy. And I feel the pain on behalf of the short community, which I'm not a part of. And I feel like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is being called, compared to Brian Westbrook just because they're both under 5'8". It's not right. Whoa, whoa, Brian whoa, whoa, Westbrook whoa. is one of the greatest dual threat running backs in the history of the league. What? What happened? What happened? So I just five, say it's bias. What's wrong, Brian? What's okay. the problem? I'm 5'10". I'm First five, of all, ten. thank you, sir. All of us okay being 5'7". It's fine. It's fine. Oh. To be under 5'8 is okay. Oh. Brian, we love you. We think oh. you're the guy. Nick, for some reason, has some sort of Napoleonic complex. Wilds, you're great just the way you are. I don't, we got to take a break. Back here with 5'10-inch Brian Westbrook. The Green Bay Packers shocked just about everyone, including Aaron Rodgers, by trading up to draft his successor in round one, Utah State quarterback Jordan Love. Wilds, you'll appreciate this. Now the Packers have A-Rod and J-Lo. Maybe that's why they did it, because we like don't that. really know why else. Head coach Matt LaFleur, yep, thinks it'll be a perfect fit, saying Rodgers will, quote, be a great mentor. Nick, this fired you up. How should Rodgers feel after this draft? Well, you're right, Jenna. It did fire me up because it got me thinking. And it, obviously he should be furious. They spent a first-round pick on a player they hope will play zero snaps for the next two years minimum. Ben Roethlisberger was upset when his team spent a third-round pick 
And Ben Roethlisberger's got a more tattered injury history than Aaron Rodgers does and has never been as good. But it's not just about right now, about how Rodgers should feel about what they did right now. Got me thinking, and the more I think about it, Rodgers should be mad about everything involving being drafted by the Green Bay Packers and how the next 15 years have transpired. I think you can make a compelling case that knowing what we know now, Aaron quite literally went to the worst franchise he could have gone to if he wanted to maximize championships. He went to the only place where he would have to sit for the first three years of his career, which he did. He went to the only team in the league that for the better part of the first 15 years of his career simply did not participate in free agency, just was their organizational philosophy not to do it. He has not had a top 10 defense in the last decade. He's only had two top 10 defenses in his entire career. For comparison's sake, Tom Brady has had a top 10 scoring defense in 16 of his 19 years. He went to, now we know, a team that simply won't draft skill position guys in the first round. In the last 15 years, the only other team to not draft a wide receiver, running back, or tight end in the first round is the Wobegon New York Jets. So I just wonder, where could <laughs> Rodgers have gone where he would have had the deck stacked against him more? Like, and by the way, their playoff losses. They, they have lost playoff games where the defense allowed 51, 37, 45, 44, and twice it, they've lost playoff games in overtime where he never got to touch the ball. So Aaron Rodgers, that much talent wilds, I would set the minimum Super Bowl appearances that he would have with any franchise at one. And in Green Bay, he's gotten one, and they're already looking to turn the page, it would appear. He should be upset about the whole damn thing. <laughs> so you didn't like their draft? <laughs> you didn't like it? So, no. No, no, I didn't know. Okay. So, no, you know you had a bad draft when every headline afterwards is like, uh, the Packers GM defends their decision. We came on the show on Friday, and I was like, Nick killed him. And I was like, let me try to find some silver lining. I was like, there's lots of wide receivers out there. Maybe they're coming in the later rounds. Nope. They were around 35 wide receivers got drafted, and the Packers didn't take one. And then, in one of these defensive articles, we, can we put up this quote, Katanic? This is the dumbest quote I've ever seen in my entire life. Here it goes. This is defending the pick. The importance of that position to our franchise is just something to me that can't be overlooked. Yeah, no kidding. That's the way the whole world feels. You're not unique. It's like when people, hey, describe yourself. Oh, I love my friends. I love to laugh and I love my friends. That's everyone. <laughs> That's not a unique thing, Jenna. So, so I just thought the whole thing was silly. I'm not, I don't think Aaron Rodgers should be mad about the last 15 years. Uh, like Nick says, but maybe the last 72 hours, he should be pretty upset. Well, somewhere, Brian, between the last 15 years and the last 72 hours lies getting rid of Jordy Nelson, not bringing in a veteran coach, getting rid of Alex Van Pelt, his quarterback coach, and then now drafting his heir apparent. I I'd be upset if I was Aaron Rodgers. How do you think he should feel after the draft? Well, well Jenna, I think you're absolutely right. I, I would be upset if I'm Aaron Rodgers as well, because basically the Patriot, I mean, the, the Packers, basically closed the window for Aaron Rodgers. When you watched the Packers last year, you saw Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams 
And then just a list of guys just weren't able to get it done, including Jimmy Graham at some time. And so you, you have to say you go into the draft and you have to get some help. And with them not getting help, it just closes the window on his career. And the way that he should feel is almost the same way that Brett Favre felt, that the writing is on the wall, that there will be another quarterback in Green Bay in just a couple of years. But I also want to take a look at this. If you're Matt LaFleur, you're saying, you know, they've had Aaron Rodgers here for a long time. They won the Super Bowl in 2010. Then when you look at the conference championship game, 2014, they lost. They barely lost a game to the Seattle Seahawks in overtime. 2016, they got blown out by the by the Falcons by 17 points in the conference championship game. And then in 2019, they got blown out by San Fran um, by 17 in the conference championship game. So maybe Matt LaFleur is saying just Aaron Rodgers is not the answer. Maybe it's time to figure out that maybe there's a different answer out there other than Aaron Rodgers having the best quarterback or at least one of the best quarterbacks in the game. There may be a different way to look at it. And so I think if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. I'm also seeing that if they wanted to win this year, they would have helped me. Unfortunately, that's not what the Packers chose to do. Yeah, they, but and here's the reason, though, Wilds, why I am looking at the last 15 years. It is, it is franchise malfeasance to have only been to one Super Bowl since you had Aaron Rodgers. Look at the other great quarterbacks in the league. Russell Wilson's been to two. Ben Roethlisberger's been to three. Brady went to nine. Peyton Manning in Indy went to two. One, one went to two. And people will say, well, there's another example. Why didn't you win more with Peyton? Well, a lot of that was because Peyton's performance dropped off markedly in the playoffs. His quarterback rating in the postseason's an 87. Rodgers is 100. Like, every... There hasn't been a single year where you look at it and you're like, wow, Rodgers' defense really bailed him out. Rodgers' supporting cast really bailed him out. It's never been that. So what should Rodgers want? To have been taken by a team that wouldn't make him waste the first three years of his career. In Russell Wilson's first three years, he won a Super Bowl and went to another one. Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl in his first three years. Carson Wentz was in position to win a Super Bowl in his first three years. He should want to go to a team that occasionally would participate in free agency at all during the prime of his career. It's crazy. The Packers, they got Reggie White, won a Super Bowl. They got Charles Woodson, won a Super Bowl. And then they said, we'll take a decade off from free agency. And you don't ever want to be on a list, <laughs> Wilds, with the Jets. And they're on a list with the Jets of just saying, ah, eh, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Who needs those when you have Rodgers? I just, if he was taken by any other team, would he have had less success? My argument, Kevin, would be no. So I'm going to throw it back to you. What do you think happens now, Nick? Do you think this is just he plays it out and is just kind of miserable? Or do you think we're ending, or this is the first time you can see like a Tom Brady Patriots ending coming with Jordan Love playing the role of like Jimmy G, that this is the fracture that breaks the whole relationship? Yeah, but, but the problem is this, Brian. He's, he, he's totally tied to them for the next two years minimum. The, the dead money makes it impossible for them to move on for 2020 or 2021. And in 2022, it would be tough. So if they do move on, you still have $20 million cap hit. So you don't even get the benefit of the young quarterback on a rookie deal. So to me, Brian, this is, this is a couple who has announced they're getting divorced but they've got to live together for the next two years while it works out in probate <laughs> court or whatever the hell. Like, I just don't, 
I, I don't see how this goes well, Brian. Yeah, I think and we've seen kind of how Aaron Rodgers can be salty. We saw how it ended with Mike McCarthy. I think at the beginning with Matt, Le- Matt LaFleur, it was a little, uh, you know, a little salty between those two as well. And I think it kind of worked out last year. But when you go into the later years of your career, the later stages of your career, you have to put weapons around that quarterback. We saw what happened with Tom Brady in, in, in New England. They wanted to put more people around him. When they didn't, he wasn't able to win. The same thing kind of has happened to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. They decided not to put weapons around him and say he has to win it all by himself. He hasn't been able to do it. Now they make this move to draft Jordan Love in the first round. I can't see how Aaron Rodgers is happy at all. All right, time now for stores to start your morning. Here we go. The New England Patriots didn't spend a single draft pick on a quarterback this weekend, and they had 10 picks. When asked about it, Bill Belichick said, quote, that wasn't by design. Nick, you surprised Belichick and the Patriots did not draft a quarterback? No, as soon as they decided to trade out of the first round and not take Jordan Love and save the Packers from themselves, it was pretty clear they weren't going to get anyone that could help them this year at the position. And Wilds, I, it just feels to me like it's go. leading to the inevitable conclusion <laughs> that I get a text alert on my phone Jay Glazer's posted a new video, and Glazer is, you know, is staring into his camera and saying, <laughs> breaking news as he's training MMA fighters. Cam Newton has signed with the New England Patriots for $4.1 million. Uh, look out, we got I video. just throw my phone. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, no, I, I Wilds, I'm not surprised by it. I feel like this is the inevitable conclusion, though. Nick, here's what I think you should do. You're a guy who always likes to be prepared. I would buy a new phone right now, get it synced up, and just have it be your emergency phone so you have your Glazer phone that you can break when you see the Cam Newton news come, and then you have your new phone ready to go. You don't want to be in a jam that we can't get you. Like, where's Nick? The, the Cam story broke. It's going to lead the show. And like, oh, he didn't get that new phone. I think the Patriots, this is wonderful. This is, I, I'm, I'm just delighted. Phone. And we did get the Michigan State quarterback, Brian, uh, undrafted. So we do have three quarterbacks on the roster right now. But uh, I just am overjoyed that Nick has come around to Patriot Nation. <laughs> I feel bad for Nick. He looks like he's in misery at this point because he wants Cam to be successful, oh. but he also hates the Patriots. And so I, I kind of understand the way he, that he feels, quite honestly. But <laughs> I, I think this is a situation <laughs> a where, where, where you're just conditioned. We've been conditioned over the last 20 years to think that Bill Belichick, he has a second, third, fourth level thinking that he's smarter than everyone else and he knows something that no one else actually knows. And to me, I, I think this was a mistake. I mean, I think you're not quite sure what you have in Stidham quite yet. You know what you have in Hoyer and he's just average at this point. If you want this team to be good and great, I'm not talking about 12 and four, which they were last year. I'm talking about winning playoff games and getting to Super Bowls. You have a great defense. We understand that. But you have to have a leader on offense and have that guy that can get it done. And I think if you get you a young quarterback that you can develop and maybe play later on the season, that gives you an option. I'm still a bit concerned that Jared Stidham is not the guy uh, that New England wants to have. And here's the other part. And I, I mentioned it about Cam earlier. They won't have the OTA. They won't have some of the mini camp to see how good he is, how far he progresses. So now you enter closer to the season and then you may have to bring Cam in. 
And does that make them a better team? I think it's a better, it makes them a worse situation uh, than before, especially when you don't draft a quarterback. All right, moving on to the New Orleans Saints now. They're reportedly finalizing a one-year deal with free agent quarterback Jameis Winston. Brian, what do you think? Jameis a good fit in that Saints quarterback room? Well, I think if I'm Jameis Winston, this is the best. I mean, the absolute best thing that could have happened to me. I'm not going to have the pressure of being a starting quarterback. I saw exactly what happened when Teddy Bridgewater came in and played good, played very well for for this football team. He got an opportunity to be a starter in Carolina. But I'm also, and probably most importantly, I'm able to learn and study under Drew Brees, a Hall of Fame quality uh, caliber type of quarterback. I can learn his habits. I can learn all the different things that made him successful. And I also am going to be around one of the best play callers and play designers in the NFL in Sean Payton. So to me, this is a winning situation for Jameis that now has to change the thought process of everyone that everyone has around him, that he's a wild quarterback that's going to throw a bunch of touchdowns and also going to throw a bunch of interceptions. Now he's going to be able to learn from one of the best quarterbacks ever in Drew Brees and a great coach in Sean Payton. Nick, I like this move too. I thought it was a little cheat code that he gets to stay in the same conference. He already knows these teams. He can play against the Bucs if he gets in the game. I thought it was a really smart decision. Well, you mentioning the him staying in the same division, Wilds, I think is a good point. And, you know, I mean, I think it opens up the line of speculation is Tom Brady now the fifth best quarterback in the NFC South? Go Brady, or you go Breeze, wow, Ryan, wow. Bridgewater, Winston, Brady. Um, but here's the other reason why this is important for the Saints. They need a backup quarterback. Here's a stat for you. Jameis Winston has completed more passes to the Saints than Taysom Hill has. Ten to six. Now, Jameis is for interceptions, unfortunately. But at least it's someone with some actual starting experience to back up 41-year-old Drew Brees. I think it's very smart for the Saints. I think it's very smart for Jameis, Jenna. All right, let's stick with the Saints. We touched on it. They're also locking up Nick's favorite guy in quarterback Taysom Hill. For those of you who couldn't hear it in my voice, that was sarcasm. Uh Two-year extension, $21 million. Nick, is Taysom Hill the most compensated third-string quarterback of all time? Well, Jenna, first of all, careful with sarcasm these days. People have trouble with it, and people don't always know the definition of it. But more importantly, That's why I explained it. If people think I'm anti-Taysom Hill, I am not anti-Taysom Hill. You are. I am, though, (laughs) pro-honesty. I'm not anti-Taysom Hill. The guy's not a quarterback. He turns 30 (laughs) in two months. He's completed six passes. And everyone's like, oh, next Steve Young. What? And the Saints keep telling us he's not a quarterback. Their their quarterback went down. And you know who started five games? Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy then left. And you know what they didn't did? They then signed another quarterback. Taysom Hill is a is a gadget player. It is an absurd amount of money to pay a gadget player, but the Saints have just resigned themselves to the fact when Breeze retires, they're gonna have $40 million of dead cap anyway, so screw it. Let's just try to win right now. He's a useful player on special teams as a receiver, as a running back. And he, much like uh, um, much like Mohamed Sanu, can occasionally throw the ball. But that's it. This ain't a quarterback yeah. they signed. It's a utility player they signed, Wilds. 
Brian, I'm also totally confused by this, and Nick has brought me over to his the dark side of being a Taysom Hill uh, person who's confused by Taysom Hill. If you're not a Truth Taysom Teller. Hill hater, Nick, I'm a person who is uh, who is confused by Taysom Hill. Brian, is there a silver lining, or, or can you give us the ceiling of Taysom Hill to put some cold water on Nick's take? Well, I think that if you're talking about a gadget player, a guy that can win you a game here and there, Taysom Hill would be the great example of that. He puts pressure on a defense. You mentioned it early about uh, Jalen Hurts. When you go through a week of practice, you only have so much time. And then you have to add in the fact that, you know, we have to think about what Taysom Hill is going to do when he's on the field. That's just tough for a defense to have to do in a week's time between games. And so I I think he is... Um, certainly probably overpaid because he only played in less than 23% of the snaps uh, for the Saints, the offensive snap, that is. But he also is a very useful uh, piece on that offense because when you think about some of the biggest plays they had last year, it was Taysom Hill getting out in, in, in routes, catching the football. Taysom Hill taking the ball from underneath center, rolling out and throwing it deep. There were some big plays there, especially when Drew Brees went down for those five games. But man, Saints fans love that guy. And every time he comes in, they go crazy. I'm not sure $21 million worth of crazy, yeah. but all right, He's let's end the show on some basketball. If you favorite. were wondering, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if you were wondering yeah. where the uh, Warriors dynasty stands, let Draymond Green Bill. sum it up for you. <laughs> With Dre very confidently saying that he, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, quote, changed the game forever. Nick, we'll let you round out the show with that. Do you agree with Dre? All right. The, a bit of a curveball for the audience because people think I don't like Draymond Green. He is 100% absolutely That's correct. Right. Draymond Wrong. Green won't have Ooh. the historical significance <laughs> of Steph Curry, obviously. But Draymond Green was the second most important player on this team more than Clay, more than Iggy. He was the second most important guy until they got Durant and everything changed, obviously. He is what allowed them to unlock the original death lineup by playing small ball center. He had a three-year stretch where he should have won three consecutive Defensive Player of the Year awards, and they did change the game forever. So, Draymond, I will give you credit here, even though your comments about Barkley are totally insane, He's absolutely right. He changed the game forever along with Steph and to a far lesser extent play, Jenna.